Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are in the field. We're a from the field podcast and we go where you go to have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that bring you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sometimes on our episodes, you hear a little bit bit of ambient noise in the background. That's what you'll hear in the background when you're having these moments. I urge you to get out of the office, get out of the studio and go to the places where things happen that will inspire your creativity and show you things that up until now, you didn't even know you could ask for. Today, we're going to have a topic today that is something that I know some of our listeners have been very excited about. I myself have been very intrigued by the topic, and it has to do with a non-conventional or unconventional, as some may say. Others may call it contrarian. Some may call it even a little bit out there. But all the same, it's about a realistic path to creating a powerful seven-figure business. And we are going to hear from somebody who has many stories of doing things and doing business differently. His name is Jason Yormark. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. He's the founder of Socialistics, which is a leading social media agency that helps businesses turn their social media efforts into real measurable results. He's a 20-year marketing veteran. His prior work has included launching and managing social media efforts for Mark, excuse me, Microsoft Advertising, Office for Mac, the Air Force, and Habitat for Humanity. Jason's been recognized as the top B2B social media influencer and thought leader on multiple lists and publications, including Forbes ranking number 30 on their 2012 list. Most intriguingly, at least to me, he's recently published a book called Anti-Agency, A Realistic Path to a Million-Dollar Business, and he hosts the Anti-Agency podcast where he shares stories of doing business differently. Woo! Jason Yormark, come on in. Weather's fine. Thank you, sir. That was an impressive intro. Probably one of the best I've heard on these well, that's uh, that's based on your official bio. And let me tell you, uh-huh. having read that off, I am so in awe that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is oh, my that's show. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Of course so, but what we want to do here is I read off the official version. Before we dive into our topic for today, let's take a step back. And let me ask you, tell us a bit in your own words about something about your journey that's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your brilliant intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Well, it's a great question. I think um, it was never just one thing. I think it was a combination of things that happened over my life that kind of brought me to where I am. I think that uh, in my nature, I've, I've always been passionate about helping others. Um, teaching was always something that seemed to be something that was of a, a, a lot of interest in. Uh, at some point in my life, I thought that you know I was going to be a teacher. You know, I had coached uh, high school girls volleyball very successfully, and I thought that that might translate into the classroom, and got my master's degree to do that, and only yeah. to find out that they're not quite the same. Um, and uh, it didn't feel right for me. And I just happened to be lucky enough to. Um, this was back in 2005 when Microsoft was hiring very aggressively. Uh, to kind of compete with Google uh, and their search product. And I lived in uh, Illinois at the time. And long story short, kind of went through the interview process and they offered and they said, well, you can go to New York or Seattle. And I said, well, I'm not going to New York. Um, no offense to anybody that lives in New York. It just wasn't my, um, just wasn't my cup of tea. So I moved to Seattle and uh, in Microsoft uh, became my career for a good seven or eight years. And I learned a tremendous amount of business savvy and experiences 
uh, there that really um, kind of gave me a turbo boost in terms of just being surrounded by incredible people from all walks of life, ethnicities, experiences that really kind of allowed me to kind of craft and build a career um, that uh, I'm very fortunate for. But uh, I was always the square peg in the round hole, you know, jobs, careers, nine to fives, you know, sitting at a desk, managers, meetings, all of these things. It never felt right. You know, I did the best that I could and I had some great experiences, but there was always something missing. And I always felt like that I wanted to do my own thing and I was wired that way. And, uh, you know, for me that just, uh, you know, I had things in my life that kind of prevented that from happening for a variety of reasons and, and tried to do it a couple of times and wasn't quite ready. And, you know, eventually led me to the right timing. Um, so the, the, the sum of all of those experiences over the course of those different jobs and, and failures, um, got me to a point where, um, I was, I was ready. And that's how, when socialistics was born about uh, four years ago and I uh, haven't looked back since. I had corporate jobs for about five years myself and looking back in some of the studies and some of the work I've done, it doesn't surprise me one bit to be aware of a statistic. Mm -hmm. They studied behaviors and work patterns of knowledge workers in office situations. In other words, people whose jobs involved them being assigned to cubicle farms. One of the, mm -hmm. I mean, which I think is right down there with Internet Explorer 6 is one of the two worst things that's ever been invented. <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, they looked at this typical person who, uh, following a model adapted from the Industrial Revolution and applied to knowledge workers, was expected to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, stay there till 5 o'clock, have their mandated hour lunch and two 15-minute breaks, and find out what amount of time they were spending was actually productive and added value to the company. Mm -hmm. The average that I came up with, and this is actually the exact number in some of the findings, is two hours and 53 minutes. That does not surprise me. What was the rest of that time spent on? It was spent on meetings to have meetings to plan the meeting about how we're going to do <laughs> meetings. It was uh, about stupid cubicle stop bys. It was about three hours of processing because somebody in CCing 12 people didn't put them in the right order. <laughs> I that I, I've seen that actually happen. And I just then yeah, the between water cooler chat processes that don't even need to happen. And you can go on and on and on. Let's not mention that commute. Oh, that yeah. I mean the average commute, I I don't have the latest numbers in front of me, but when I looked into this last time a couple years ago. I think it was averaging just over an hour. Well, that that's, assu yeah, that's sure. assuming that all went well. I saw a study that showed that if you were to actually pay people for their commute, consider that work time mm -hmm. and spread the and spread their pay over that, and then break it down into an hourly wage, they would make approximately two hours, two dollars an hour less. No, and then, I, and then you wonder why people don't want to do it. Well, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, all those things were the reasons that I felt out of place. I think that, um, and now it's an interesting time with, you know, uh, I think one of the benefits that that's coming out of the pandemic, if you want to even call it that, is just it kind of forced this new way of thinking about work and what's efficient and what really matters. And I think the businesses that have embraced, you know, a virtual mindset are the ones that are thriving and will continue to thrive. And the ones that are trying to hold on to that old method are the ones that are going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to feel that um, even companies as, as big as Google or Microsoft. I mean, if they don't get on board with, you know, really working in, you know, virtual working significantly into their, into their models, I think they're, they're going to lose um, a lot of people. Um, now granted, look, there's, there's certain jobs that you can't get away from in terms Correct. of, you know, being in person. And, uh, and I certainly think that there's still a tremendous amount of value in, in being able to socialize and be in the same place at the same time. Um, but people don't want that anymore. It's, a, it's just a different world. And uh, I think that that's still in the infancy of being, of shaking out. I think um, as things start to kind of get back to normal, uh, businesses are having to learn real quickly about how they're, what they're, philosophies are going to be and, and what their plan is going to be to kind of accommodate 
what they can in terms of, of that virtual um, work environment. I mean, I, we were lucky, but when I, when I launched my business pre-pandemic, you know, we kind of already had that model in mind. So um, we were already kind of prepared for that, but uh, yeah, I, man, did I hate meet, uh, meetings at, at Microsoft. That was like, we, you, you, you crystallized it. You know, you're literally having meetings to discuss future meetings. And it was just like, I just want to get stuff done. And that's all I really wanted. I just, I just want to get stuff done and I, I want to create things. I want to take risks. I want to do things. And I don't want things to get in the way of that. And I, I just felt like that's only going to happen if I go off and do my own thing. That's not to say that companies don't do that, but in, in my experiences, yeah. I'm like, I got to go do my own thing. If I'm going to really be able to feel that self, that, that sense of accomplishment and, and, and freedom to be able to just take risks and, and do awesome things and, you know, not let, things get in the way of that. Yes, Jason. I too, quote unquote, struggled to understand the company's mission statement. I also, quote unquote, was unemployable. A lot of folks go down these things and it's only some of us that have the ability or even find the place to be able to create our own path. I had an opportunity to get out of my last job almost a year before I did mm-hmm. and turbocharge my entrepreneurial venture, which at that time was a side hustle. It was a very annoying Friday in November, 2004, where something happened that just really brought into sharp relief what an obtuse fucking moron my boss's boss was. <laughs> so I had been going for almost a year and a half, seesawing back and forth. Do I want to climb the corporate ladder and have a little consulting side gig? Or do I want to get myself to the point where I can jump out of this and create my own thing? And on that day, my decision was made for me. But then there was a question of, all right, so how do I achieve it? Mm -hmm. I told my situation to one of my clients, who's also my business mentor. And he told me that uh, if I could go back to that company on Monday morning and tell them to take that job and shove it, and demonstrate to him tangible evidence that I'd quit the job, he would give me $3,000. Wow. I didn't take him up on it. Yeah. Here's why. I did not have a frame of reference to understand that with $3,000 combined with the fact that I already had something going, within 60 days, following some relatively simple and straightforward steps, I would have a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just his $3,000. I also had a PTO payout with uh, Accumulate, which would have amounted to two months uh, of me continuing to get my paycheck if you just divide it by four, plus not to mention the savings, plus not to mention I had everything paid off, and we can go on down the line. I was in an advantageous pos- position to do it. I just didn't have the belief. Furthermore, I had questions as to why would he just give me $3,000? Mm-hmm. It's like I did. It's like just my background told me that nobody does that unless they have some agenda up their sleeve, or this is some way that they're actually going to end up getting more out of the deal than I would. Because I was used to in so many areas of my life getting screwed over. I just didn't have a mind frame for mm-hmm. this. Looking back, though, I understand his motives perfectly. And yes, it was very selfish on his part. Let me explain. With me being able to get out of that job he and I could do a lot more things together, which would accelerate both our businesses. To him, the $3,000 was a small price to pay to get something in his business that would allow him to press the accelerator right to the floor. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. And I share this story time and time again, because somebody out there is going to be in my situation. They're going to be about 26 years old and, have this opportunity in front of them and they're not going to have the framework because they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't even know that the questions are there to be asked. Mm-hmm. So I want to help, I want to help with that. Yeah. Now I'm actually more curious about you here mm-hmm. and this book anti-agency, a realistic path to a million dollar business. Before we get into some of the points you shared with me in the green room, do you want us to go through, please just, Tell us about that book and that theme. Uh, there's so much about the nomenclature and the key wording of that that has me on the edge of my seat. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I once I had caught crossed that threshold and um, you know, that that general feeling of wanting to help others kind of started to kick in and I had a really great team. I knew that I wanted to to create a book. Um, I, I think my first inclination with it was around, well, you know, to to build up credibility and to just tell the story of what I built. And uh, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth. Originally, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm, you know, I need to write a book about social media and how to do social media the right way. And and my team was like, well, you really want to do that? Is that really that interesting? And you know, that's going to become old news. You know, by the time you actually publish the thing, things change so quickly. And they're like, yeah, you're right. The, does the world really need another marketing book? So. Um, yeah. and I got right in my head about, well, I'm just going to tell my story, you know, and I've been a very, you know, I'm a very humble person, uh, almost to a fault. So, you know, talking about me or what I've done is always a little bit uncomfortable to me, but my team really was like, no, you need to do that. And you need to get comfortable with that. So I did. And, uh, I think when it clicked for me was when I realized, wow, I mean, I mean, I did accomplish this and these are the things that I did that helped me get there. If somebody would were to read this and didn't enjoy it or didn't, you know, and or had negative feedback, I'd be like, well, that's okay, but this is my this is my truth. Like this worked. And so I, I think once I made that realization, then the book almost wrote itself. And uh, as far as like the name and the that the you know, I just when I look back at the business that I built, I always I just felt like my path was very unique and different, you know, unique and different in the sense of I didn't have a lot of resources. I was older. I think when I started the business, I was 43, 44. So I'm in, I'm in my mid forties, you know, uh, you know, not typically when most people think of, of making a career change into doing your own thing. Um, and I didn't have a lot to go on and, but I still followed a path that allowed me to bridge that gap. And I just felt like, well, geez, if I can do it, then anybody can. And I just started to kind of think yeah. of the, those unique things that I did, uh, along the way that helped me get there. And I just kind of thought, well, these are like anti-business ideas. Like they're not, typical things that people are talking about or writing about. And then, um, you know, I just felt like, you know, we're kind of like an anti-agency. Like we don't do things the same way that everybody else does. We're very unique and different. And that's, that's really where the name came from. And um, I'm proud of the book. Cause I, you know, I, when I think of it, I don't care. I, I didn't write the book to make money. You know, I, I, anybody that thinks they're going to make money writing books, think twice. Cause unless you're, your name's Stephen King or Gary Vaynerchuk or some huge, well-known name with millions of followers, uh, you know, the margins on books are minuscule. So it's, it's really more about, I just want to motivate and help others. And, um, and when you have, I think an authentic approach to what you do and you're not driven by the almighty dollar, uh, the irony in that is that's typically when things go well for you and people pick up on that and, and good things happen. So I, I don't go looking for that. I just try to lead with being helpful and, and helping people and being truthful and transparent about everything that I do. And that's, that, that's really been a recipe of success for me. And the, and the book is an extension of that. Yeah. Now, for example, what is something that you did that was unconventional in building what we're going to call your anti-agency? Yeah. I think the thing, the one favorite thing about that, and look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that I invented this uh, yeah. tactic, um, but I, I don't. I, I've never really seen anybody really talk about it, especially as it pertains to, um, you, like most people are. They have a job or they have bills to pay. They don't have access to a lot of resources. They don't have investors. Um, but if you're like me and you got that entrepreneurial DNA in you, you know that you want to do your own thing. But you might be kind of handcuffed because you need that paycheck and you need those benefits. And you can't just take that type of risk right now for whatever reason. So you kind of like, well, I've got a great idea, but my life is just kind of in the way right now. Um, and I always felt that way. Um, and most, a lot of people are in that situation, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a path for you to get to find your freedom. Um, and for me, that was building a runway. Um, you know, I, I had tried to build businesses before in situations where like I lost a job. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to. I'm just going to start my own business. But then you're starting from scratch. You got to build your website and a brand and you got to figure out a lot of things. And you've got a good couple months before you're even got that out in the world. And then you got to start creating momentum for yourself. So, and a lot of this pertains to like service-based businesses, I would say uh, more so than storefronts and things of that nature. You got to build that momentum. So I knew that, okay, well, I know this is where I want to get to. 
I need to build a runway for myself so that if and when the time comes that I can take that leap, that that train is already moving and it's not stuck in a station and hasn't been built yet. So I knew where I wanted to be. I just started to kind of work backwards um, in terms of you know what that looks like. So building a brand, putting out a website, starting to put good things out in the world, writing blog articles that are helpful around social media or digital marketing, trying to create some momentum around a brand name, taking on a couple clients, um, not for the money, because right, I've got, I've got a paycheck, so I don't need this side hustle to really fund you know, my expenses. So what does that mean? Well, now you, you could take, you can be aggressive. You know, you need to make a name for yourself. You don't, people don't know who you are. They don't know your business. Offer to work for free or offer to work for 50% less, you know, get that portfolio built up, you know, start to, it's just about the work. It's just about putting that out in the world so that you can use those experiences later on when you are ready to make that leap. So these are all the things that I worked on over the course of a year or two, kind of like just putting these things out in the world. I've got my brand, I'm putting these blog posts out. I'm building some search engine visibility. I am doing it regularly. I'm, I'm putting social media out regularly. I'm doing some work um, you know, throughout the course of that this runway period. Um, you know, if things started to pick up and I couldn't do all the work, I'd go get a contractor. I'd use like a Fiverr or an Upwork and I'd get some pull somebody in because I still had a job. So there's only there's only a finite amount of time that yeah. I had, um, but I'm planting all these seeds, right? And so it's going, it's going, and you know it's it's in, it's in a good place. And then, you know, after about I think 12 to 18 months, I was in at the time my last career position, which I at the time I thought, well, this is actually a good opportunity, and this is going to work out. Of course, it didn't, and that's a whole other story in and of itself. But it just got to the point where it just blew up, and I was just so fed up, um, and I was just done. And I got in that, I actually got let go, but I I knew it was coming. Um, And I said, you know what, this is it. I'm done. And I'm, I'm going to jump into this runway that I've built. This train is moving and I'm just going to go for it. And that the risk was lessened. um, So it didn't feel as overwhelming that I was jumping into something, you know, cold. I mean, this thing was already kind of in motion for, for now 12 to 18 months. And um, I think the biggest revelation for me that came from building this runway as well, my entire life, I had this mindset of, I need that stability, right? I've got a family, I got kids, I got things to take care of. I need stability. I need the paycheck. I need the benefits. I need stability. Like everybody thinks about that stability. And in my mind, that was always connected to a nine to five job. But what I realized pretty quickly was that the stability that I was looking for in my life forever was right in front of me the whole time, which was doing my own thing. Because by doing my own thing, I controlled my own destiny. What I put into it, I get out of it. Um, And once I was able to kind of push the fear aside, not completely, because it's still a little scary no matter what, but once the fear didn't control me, everything took off Um, and the business started to take off immediately. And I think that's a combination of the mindset I was in, which I think was a result of building that runway. So physically, logistically, the business was already in motion. So the seeds were planted and I was able to jump into it full time. And it's like putting gasoline on the fire. Um, But also mentally, I had already put a lot of work into it. I was prepared. And from a psychological standpoint, the fear wasn't as significant. I didn't feel as held back. And all you put all those things together and things can really take off for you. So I have a chapter in the book that's literally about how to build this runway. And I think that's one of the most critical components to helping people that are in a similar situation that know they want to be an entrepreneur, but have things in their life that maybe don't allow them to take that leap super aggressively. There's still a path yeah. for you to get there. And that's one of the chapters that I right. really love because I think that's going to be helpful to a lot of people that were in a similar situation uh, that I was in. Yeah. I think you get to a point if you really want to create your own destiny, we recognize that this security of a job. Well, you know, I know what it's I know what it's like to uh, have temp assignments where they don't even tell you that this is actually your last day working there. I know what it's like mm-hmm. to work for a company that apparently had an unofficial policy of making sure that nobody worked there a full year and getting to about your eighth month and your ninth month and seeing retrospectively how 
you were being forced out. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you think those two things amount to security? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it's secure when you are in an organization that only has a limited number of chairs for people to sit in? And just because they play musical chairs or positions doesn't mean that you're going to get a different seat. And to know that when they do your so-called performance evaluation, I say so-called on purpose because most of them are bullshit anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that allegedly you can earn up to a 5% pay increase, which is what? Uh, that's not even that's not even a, a, a cost of living adjustment in this day and age. Yeah, correct. But then... But then somewhere in the back of your mind, and you may even be able to confirm this like I was able to, that the most you were getting was 3% because that's all they had in the budget. Mm-hmm. So in your so-called performance evaluation, they actually went and found things wrong so they could justify only giving 3%. Could add 5%, but oh, the money just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You call that security? No, sir. I mean, and that, and that has a lot to do with, I mean, I, in terms of how I run my agency, those are the types of things that I've tried to flip, flip a 180 on is to not do the things that always frustrated me about corporate America. Um, and again, I'm not the only business that's doing those things, yeah. but I do, I do think it's, it's not the norm. Um, but I, every, you know, everything that we do is, is to, is to try to go against the grain, you know, just trying to do things differently and some things work and, and, and others don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest of the book is really just about, you know, these are the things that we tried and, and I talk about things that didn't work. Um, but there's a, there's a variety of things that I think, um, you know, uh, folks don't necessarily think about when it comes to starting or running a business that can be incredibly impactful to, you know, building a successful business for yourself that ultimately leads you to never having to look back to considering working for somebody else, which, which I know for a lot of people is, is, you know, a dream. Yeah. I, I got into entrepreneurship uh, in the field of training development right around the time that e-learning became a thing. And I believe that everybody, including myself in our PowerPoint presentations included that one, that one cartoon that showed the training and development director meeting with the CEO and the CEO saying, I don't know what an e-learning is, but if our competition has one, get two of them. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, and, I think- and I, and I've seen that radiate over to some of the entrepreneurial training on how to leverage your organization. And uh, this whole thing of, well, we'll only do that thing that's at the core of your your business and outsource everything else. And that doesn't always make sense. Yeah. So sure. you, so you, so you attend uh, these webinars and these, and these training modules and such, and you learn you're supposed to outsource everything. So you have the, the solopreneur that thinks that they've leapt from solopreneurship to having a leveraged organization. And they say, well, you know, this morning I hired three virtual assistants, two digital marketers, a copywriter, a webmaster, a bookkeeper, a CPA. I already had one, but I hired another one. I also got me a lawyer and uh, a doctor and, uh, and an accountant. Uh, I know I have a CPA, but I also got a law, uh, uh, an accountant. And then I also uh, got a certified auditor to to, to check the accountant and the CPA. And uh, I also got a personal assistant to do my grocery shopping for me. <laughs> and I say, wow, that's great. What's your plan? Like, but I'm leveraged. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur now. Yeah. But what's that? What's the plan now? So that leads to my question for you is this goes back to finding and hiring great talents. Oh yeah. From two perspectives, a, knowing what you're looking for in the first place and B how to find it. So what mm-hmm. have been some of your discoveries in these areas? Yeah. I love that question. I'm super passionate about this. Um, one of the things that I benefited mostly by my time at Microsoft was I went through the ringer in terms of their training around hiring, recruiting, interviewing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I definitely gleaned a lot from that. And I think a lot of what I write about in the book around this uh, brings in some of those learnings. Um, there's a couple of key components here. Number one, um, especially again, especially in a service-based business or and really any business for that matter, um, you cannot settle uh, when it comes to people. Um, if you, you know, you 
if you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure because uh, there's a high probability that that situation is not going to work out. And let me tell you, finding, recruiting, interviewing, hiring, training, mentoring people is exhausting from a time standpoint and a financial standpoint. And if you're not doing it effectively, you're going to be like a hamster in a wheel, continuously having to churn when people are churning out and new people are coming in. You're in this constant state of having to do that. And I think one of the things that I've been very fortunate about is that I haven't had to deal with that very much. Most of the hiring that I've had to do with the business is because of growth, not because of replacing people that didn't work out. If you can get that part right, um, that's a, such a huge critical component to being able to run a successful business. And especially for me, because now I've got an incredible team uh, that practically runs the business. And now I've been able to remove myself from it to do things like this book and to do podcast interviews and to do speaking gigs. Um, and I think for a lot of sure. entrepreneurs, that's always the goal, right? It's not, I mean, I think a lot of people think about, you know, I, they get, they start a business and their goal is to maybe either sell it or be able to remove themselves from it enough uh, to be able to kind of do some other things in their life. Um, so people are critical to that. Um, so you got in and, and look, recruiters are very expensive. I've never used a recruiter. They can be very cost prohibitive for, for solopreneurs or people that are just starting out. So you're kind of on your own. Um, the nice thing is, you know, I found a lot of success with just using tools like indeed and LinkedIn to find folks They're They're very they, surprisingly be, have become very affordable um, in terms of their pricing model. So, they can be a very effective strategy just in terms of what platforms you use to actually find people. Um, some of the other things that I've just found to be very um, effective is one, I mean, offer a great opportunity. You know, So there, there's, there's really two paths. Either you're hiring contractors or you're hiring employees. I, I started out, everybody was a 1099. They were contractors as, when we were first starting out. Um, it was kind of by design because a lot of people wanted that. They preferred that. You know, A lot of people like to kind of run their own business. I'm using kind of air quotes in terms of just, you know, diversifying their income streams. So there's no shortage of people that actually uh, would prefer to be a 1099. So you're not going to have a shortage of um, um, people out there that that can align to that. Um, so, and then there's plenty of, of marketplaces for that. Um, and then you have, you know, obviously with employees, it gets a little bit more complex because now you're offering benefits and those sorts of things, but there are tools out there to help navigate that. Uh, gusto, things of that nature that can take all the heavy lifting. But ultimately what it comes down to is have a very clear cut, concise, you know, job description. That's not only, um, you know, concise and to the point and helps people understand what the opportunity is, but get people excited about working for your company. What makes you different? What makes you unique? What's the opportunity about? Don't try to fool people into something that you're not. You know, a lot of times I went into business thinking, oh, I got to make us look bigger than what we are. But the reality is your perceived weaknesses can actually be strengths. Being smaller makes you more nimble. It makes you more, it's exciting because people can come in and think, oh, I get to actually be a part of building something as opposed to just coming in and being another cog in the wheel. So embrace your smallness or embrace what makes you different. Um, and then also, you know, one of the tactical things that we did that saves a ton of time is um, don't talk to everybody. Like if you put a job rec out there, you're going to get, you know, 100, 200 people to apply. You don't have time to talk to all those people. And you probably don't probably don't have a ton of time to have to go through every single, you know, resume. So we put a, uh, something in place where we ask um, candidates uh, to basically provide, you know, uh, a five minute video on Loom. Uh, I use Loom all the time now. Um, okay. Answering three key questions, you, you know, we we pick out three questions, answer these things. Um, it, this this accomplishes a couple things. Number one, it's going to weed out all the pretenders, all the people that are applying to hundreds of jobs. Just click, 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 click. You don't want them. They don't care about this job. They're just playing the numbers, so it weeds them out because they're not going to do it. Um, and then what it also does is that for the few that do fill it out, which is typically anywhere from ten to twenty percent, um, you're going to get to see how they communicate. You know, I, you know, if once you, you can tell for, for people that are, you know, most people have good instincts. You're going to be able to tell, are they a good communicator? Do they have high energy? Do they actually seem genuinely interested in this? You can check those boxes by watching a five minute video instead of having to commit to a 15 or 30 minute call only to find out five minutes into it or like, there's no way I'm going to hire this person. But most people are pretty respectful. You know, they probably are going to sit on the phone for a little bit longer and, and at least give them a little bit of time. Don't do that. Do these videos that helps you become much more efficient in um, being able to narrow the list down to the people that you actually should be spending the time to talk to 
Um, but just by in- implementing these types of tactics, it's really streamlined our ability to uh, navigate hiring people. Um, and then, uh, you know, then it just comes down to, um, you know, then you get into the whole mentoring and having good systems in place to, to make sure that people are coming in to an opportunity that's, that they're going to thrive in, which is a whole other kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. but those are some of the things that have worked real well for us. Yeah. One of the things that I discovered, and thank you for all that. One of the things that I discovered through my own entrepreneurial journey, and I've seen a lot of other folks do this, is when you're first starting out, particularly when you make that leap from being a side hustle to it being that thing you're going to make a living off of, this Mm -hmm. thing that's going to pay your bills, that's going to enable you to survive, you'll take on just about any client you can get. Mm -hmm. So we're going to still, what I want to do is I want to share a thought about hiring in the other direction. Yep. And I did that. I also brought on a few clients and they ended up being stories in my book about how not to do things that uh, I knew from like the first second that there's no way that I should even be having a conversation with them about them becoming my client, much less bring them on as a client. These are things that you really, I'm just going to come out and say it. Most entrepreneurs have got to learn this by experiencing it once at Mm -hmm. least. Yeah, that's all the stories because if, if all you're doing is listening to theoretical stories, then you're gonna come up with theoretical processes. When yep. you go through the mud, you'll find you'll know for your own self what mitigating factors and what qualifiers you need to put up. So after I went through a few of these, and this was the time when I had when I was in one of my previous businesses, and it was basically all referral based. I did no advertising of any kind at all. I set up a requirement that anybody who was interested in becoming a client of ours would need to fill out a form before they could schedule a call with me. The purpose of this form was twofold. A, to see if they'd do it. Well, actually it was threefold. A, to see if they'd do it. B, to see if they, B, to see if they would fill it out completely. And C, to skip over a lot of things that w- if we did get on the telephone or have a conversation, there would it would be me having to ask for the 95th time. So I was basically taking out that part of the meeting that should have been an email, literally turning it into an email in the form of the uh, submission results that came after they clicked submit. So I so when I had a referral partner ask me if I could be so kind as to just take on her referrals and not make them fill out that quote unquote stupid form. I, I immediately asked her if she was interested in buying my business because essentially that's what she would be doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I quoted an eight, I, an eight figure dollar amount for that. So you put up these things and I love how you say, don't speak with everybody who submits a resume. And candidly, you do have folks that will fire out resumes at just about anything, just like throwing pots at the wall to see what sticks. And I love your idea of having them uh, film a short Loom video where they answer three questions. And you get mm-hmm. a lot of data from that. Oh, yeah. And also, I caught the part where it reduced your prospect pool by 90%, saving you 90% of the time. Yeah. No, so, without sure. you, so without you even having to read the resumes, you're mm-hmm. able to roll out nine-tenths of them. Yeah. No, as you should. Yeah. So in my case, having some sort of intake is how I eliminate a lot of things. And it's Mm -hmm. the same with being a podcast host. To be on this show that we're on right now, the Business Creators Radio Show, you or in your case, your agent, let's pull back the curtain, you're high octane, so you have agency (laughs) representation, uh, filled out a form that asked for a bunch of information. Nothing I don't need, but everything I do, so that without having to research you online or listen to samples of other interviews you've done, I could look at this in about 12 seconds and say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this Jason, he's got something interesting to say. Let's bring him on. Yeah. No, I love, and I, I love everything you're saying here. This actually ties back to my, probably my second favorite chapter in the book, which is the power of no. Go for um, it. Oh yes. The power of no. Yeah. Go forth, Jason. Take yes. it. So the power of, I mean, that's, it's one of the most powerful things you could do as a business owner. So you're, I, I completely relate to everything that you're saying. Our, so our contact form on our website, it, this is going to sound very counterproductive to some people, but everything that we do is designed to get people to not do the thing that we want them to do, which sounds crazy. But the reality is when you're starting out in business, you, you want to 
be targeted. Like we decided to to special. We we went horizontal instead of vertical in terms of our business. Meaning, we chose to focus on social media instead of all marketing. Uh, some businesses will be just like marketing for you know the food and beverage industry. Um, I think in this day and age, I would actually. Uh, tell people to do both if you really want to carve out something for yourself. Um, but there's a you know there's a specific type of client that makes sense for us, and we don't want to waste our time or anybody else's if it's not a good fit. So the questions that we ask, the way the things that we put on that page are all designed to pre-qualify them. So by the time they actually raise their hand and they want to talk to us, it is much more likely that they're not going to be shocked by our prices or that they are a good fit for us. Um, and the same thing to your point about the podcast, our, our podcast questionnaire asks a lot of questions and have very specific questions. And to your point, one, it'll weed people out. If, if they're just spraying and praying, I don't want those people on the show. I want people that actually have an interesting story to tell and actually want to be on the show. They take the 10 or 15 minutes to fill it out. And you know, to your point, I can look at that and within because of the questions that we ask, I know within 10 or 15 seconds, is this somebody that's going to, that we're going to want on the show and that we're going to potentially have a really great conversation. So saying no, that that's one way of saying no. Another thing around saying no, and especially, you know, in the beginning of the business was, you know, when we, when I would be on prospect calls and I knew that they didn't feel like a good fit, that could be because they were a little iffy about the budget. They're like, Oh, we could probably make it work. No red flag because two months in, they're going to be like, this is too much money. Uh, so I know that that's a red flag now. Now, three right. years ago, that I wouldn't filter that out. We'd, we'd go down that path and I'd learn the hard way. Or they're just really abrasive um, or they just don't have, I just don't feel a, a professional chemistry. I'd, I'd look past that and then I'd send them on my team. And then three months in, my team is feels like shit because they're working with somebody that's an asshole or treating them poorly. I can't afford yeah. to do that. you know. So it's like now I when these things happen... I, I've gotten comfortable with like, you know what, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think this is going to be a good fit. Um, here's why. And uh, and most one of two things will happen. They'll appreciate the fact that you're transparent and honest about it, or yep. they'll just want to work with you more because like, what do you mean? You're saying no to isn't, me. Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. It's like, it's, well, it's just like dating. It's like, you don't like me. And then it's like, well, who are you? So it's like that, that could happen. So, but what happens is, is when you start to say no, uh, and it's not easy, especially in the beginning. I'm not naive. When you're just starting out, you kind of have to say yes to more things than you might just to kind of grease the wheel and get the engine running and get those yeah. experiences. But you have to start saying no to the things that don't make sense to you if you really want to scale your business. But what, what happens is once you start doing that, thing like success breeds success. You start thinking more critically and strategically. Okay, well, if I change my contact form to ask these questions, oh, if I put this thing out in front there, you can start putting things out in the world that actually help you filter out the wrong opportunities before you even say one word to a prospect. And that's where we've gotten. Now, when we get on a call, I mean, it's 95% that this is going to be a potentially good fit. Whereas before it could have been 50, 50. So as time goes on and you learn about the business and you start figuring out these little moves that you can make, you start optimizing and optimizing and optimizing. And then it's just, the, that's when the magic happens because you're spending less time on things that you shouldn't be wasting your time on because of what you've learned and what you've implemented. So, and it all starts with that first step is just getting comfortable with saying no. It's the most empowering thing in the world. Um, because you're, you're just, you know, your, your instincts are going to be right. If something doesn't feel like it's a good fit, trust me, it's not. Cause I can't really think of too many situations where I felt that way and it ended, I was wrong about it. Um, so you're, you're just better off getting comfortable with that philosophy. Yeah. Agreed. Now, what's also interesting, and uh, this, again, this is as of the time we're recording, and this may change, mm -hmm. is I see the guest application to be on your podcast, which we'll mention the name, because I do encourage people to go listen to it. It's called the Anti-Agency Podcast Stories of Doing Business Differently. And mm -hmm. you spell out, out up front you know, what the podcast is going to be about. Uh, you indicate the uh you know the property rights now you and i have different views on property rights uh, mm -hmm. you have what you have mine is just simply share and share alike but you're obligated to give the other person credits mm -hmm. uh and you also spell out that there is a marketing commitment this is one of the big things you see as you know my primary job or mm -hmm. job or role or business is i work with entrepreneurs to launch your podcast and one of the biggest frustrations i hear are then who can i find to 
help edit out all my verbal pauses like anybody mm-hmm. gives a shit leave your ums and ahs in right uh, okay. is the uh, is the other one is that they have all these guests on their show and a tiny percentage of their guests even acknowledge mm-hmm. much less share yep and so what you do in your marketing commitment is you spell out what you expect people to do so if i were to and i and I think you should probably be looking forward to an application from me because I want to be on the show myself. Sure. Um, you uh, will. I know full well that I'm going to be sending an email and some social media posts. And and I also like to use sample post. You said you're going to send me those things, the images mm-hmm. and the swipe files. This is a model we built within podcast reach that we are actually in the process of going through all of our reachers, even the previous reachers, and looking to have them retrofit into their process even more than than already, because we've been innovating in exactly what you just described. We're testing this with one of our other clients right now, where rather than ask the guest, whether it was a podcast guest or a webinar guest, what have you, if they would be willing to share with their list we have them just subtly change the language to say, please share this mm-hmm. and allow the other person to come up with their so-called reasons why they won't. Yeah. But if why you just, would, yeah. but if you just politely um, in a friendly way, but assertively and affirmatively say, we want you to do this, people will do it to a much greater degree. And if they can't do that exact thing, like let's say somebody you have in your show doesn't have a list, mm-hmm. maybe they find some other way to innovate that's just as good, if not better. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I always find it interesting. Like, why would, like, because my whole philosophy is you're spending the time to be on this show in, in the interest of expanding your brand and your reach. Yeah. Why in the world would you not share it with your audience? Like, what reason could you possibly have for not wanting to share something that you did, uh, assuming that you know you're proud of what you talked about and that you felt there was value there? So, I never think that that's a, a, a relatively heavy ask. Um, yeah. I think for me, it's you know we we publish every other week, so I only do 26 shows a year. I probably have a hundred, at least a hundred inquiries, if not more, of people yeah. that want to be on the show. So it's like, well you know, I could be a little bit more selective about, about who we bring on, but you know, to me, you know, it's an expectation of, Hey, if you're going to be on the show, I I expect you to share it. Now, do I have a team in place that's going and and checking if they do that and then slapping their hand if they don't No, of course not. I, my philosophy is I put it out there. I say that it's a requirement. Um, if you don't end up doing it, you know, whatever, but, um, I think it's, we'll we'll keep, we'll keep keep this between you and me, but you also bring up a really good point is you're not going to get a hundred percent, but you're going to get a lot more simply by, by asking. And, and you also raise the question of why would somebody not want to share it? What, and what we've done with our research, uh, with this model that we're revising and this test we're doing with one of our reaches right now, it just simply comes down to looking at some of the emails that podcasters send out to their mm-hmm. guests yeah. that say, Hey, your episode's live and, uh, here's an image and uh, here's a link and, and, uh, you can share this however you like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. Now I have to write copy, even if it's a couple sentences mm-hmm. in order to share this to my social media. Yeah. I have to do work now. Good point. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you'd like me to email to my list. I got to write copy about this. And mm-hmm. oh, that interview is three weeks ago. I don't remember what the, the key <laughs> points were. God, goodness gracious. No, and uh, and then it says, do whatever you like. Well, what about giving me some specific direction? I don't have time to think. Uh, yeah. If you just draw me a map, I'll follow it. Yeah. That's, That's a great the point, model man. we're testing. Yeah. And I think, I, and I, it's going to work. Yeah. And I think coming back to what uh, you're saying about how you have prospective applicants to work for your firm. Fill out, you know, fill out that form and film that loop video. These mm-hmm. are two specific instructions, and between the two of those, you reduce your you reduce your herd by ninety yeah. percent. That that's awesome. So no, no, the talent I, is great. Yeah, no, I think if you're you're absolutely right. I think that's the next step that we probably t- need to take as a team is like. Because that's what we're doing, right? Is like we'll email them. Okay, the show here's the show's going live. Here's the link. We really appreciate it if you share. You're right. You need to take a step further and be like, the show is live. Here's the link to it. Here's the image. Here's a blurb that we've written for you that you can use for social media. Here's something that you can, you literally give them everything, and you probably are going to see a much bigger 
success rate in terms of those shares being made, because to your point, they're not now having to do anything other than, you know, copy and paste. And it takes them, you know, a minute or two, as opposed to maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to have to deal with it. Right. So uh, we have about maybe about 10 minutes here. And there's one area that really love to get into is virtual team culture. Mm -hmm. So what have you discovered about building and managing a thriving virtual team culture? Yeah. It's tough. I think that's obviously one of the challenges of being virtual versus a, an in an office experience is that there's nothing that you're going to do that is going to be able to mimic um, what can be accomplished when you're all in the same room. Uh, I think once you realize that, I think then you've at least got a starting point from which to work from. Um, there's a couple of different things. One, it goes back to hiring the right people. Um, so, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if you if you make poor decisions around who you bring in. If it's not a good fit on either side, it doesn't matter what systems you have in place. Uh, there, there's going to be some chinks in the armor. So you got to get that part right. Um, the second is you've got to, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you think about in office um, and to your point, this creates some inefficiencies in terms of um, work. Um, you have those moments that are unplanned where you're, you know, you walk by somebody and you strike up a five minute conversation or you're both getting a cup of coffee and you just have, you know, that two or three minute conversation. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And that's, it's great. And I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I, I miss those sorts of experiences, but that doesn't happen virtually. Right. Cause when you want like you have, you have to proactively think about teeing up a, a, a conversation, a social conversation with somebody like, Hey, how was your weekend? Or, hey, you know, I saw this amazing movie. Did you see this? Like when you're virtual and you're in your own world, you don't think to just throw that out there most of the time. You're busy. You're working. You're not really, you don't have to plan for those types of moments um, when you're in an office. What When you're virtual, you, you have to proactively think about that. So we tried, you know, we, we try to put things in place that kind of get people to still do those sorts of things. Now, Slack is you know, is the, is our headquarters, you know, we, I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's like, I think I can't, I can't even imagine a world that did not have these types of platforms, Slack or teams. Yeah. Um, so we, we spend, you know, the majority of our experiences within that uh, platform, within that framework. So there's lots of different tools and plugins that you can pull in that can add layers of fun um, and creativity to a, a virtual environment, whether it's, you know, quizzes or, um, we had this one, um, that we were using for a while that rewarded people. Like you could reward people points that they could use towards gift cards. So thanking people for things. So putting things in places that encourage your team to kind of interact and, and have fun. Uh, we certainly do virtual, uh, happy hours. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, we've incorporated a lot of, um, into our bonus structures, a lot of things around culture to encourage people to, you know, just proactively think about being a great steward for the company and to, to help others. And so it's really just about, you got to put these things in place that, you know, and motivate your team to prioritize thinking about them because it can be very easy to just think about the work and do the work. And, uh, you know, and, and that, you know, if you're just talking about you and two other people or three other people, that's okay. But once you start to get to like, and I, and I realized this once we got to like eight or nine or 10 people, it's like, you, you have to be thinking about culture. You have to be thinking about putting things in place and, and people, you know, even though they might say, I just want to do my work and then go off and be in my own world, that doesn't scale long-term. I mean, you, you really have to proactively put some of these sorts of things in place uh-huh. that encourage people to think about engaging uh-huh. and, and building relationships. And I think the other, the last piece I'll say with this um, and admittedly, we haven't scheduled one yet because of the pandemic is if you're going to be a virtual business, if you're going to scale, if you're going to be doing this over time, you really need to factor in at least once a year, bringing your team together, you know, have some sort of event where you can bring everybody together. And I say this because when I was able to meet, actually physically meet the people on my team that took our relationships to a whole other level. They became somebody more than just somebody behind a screen. Well, I think we had a trade yeah. show or two, and I was able to meet folks on my team for the first time. The minute we were able to do that, our relationships took off tremendously yeah. once we were able to do that. So it is yeah. critical that you find a way to be able to incorporate into your budget and logistically 
bringing your people together once a year to strategize, to spend time together, to relationship build, because not only will that tr- provide tremendous value in the moment, it will plant incredible seeds for your business after the fact because your closeness and your relationships that you will have with your team and they with each other uh, will be um, incrementally more significant because they actually got to meet the people in person. So those are the things that we have done or plan on doing that have been a real difference maker. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, One of the teams that uh, I'm involved in through my consulting practice, another member of the team wanted to know, why are we having these weekly meetings? It seems Mm -hmm. like we spend 20 minutes talking about the business and 40 minutes on chit chat. And I say, and I said, that's the point. Yeah. You create this touch point once a week where we get together and we have those types of conversations and just watch over time what mm-hmm. that does for the efficiencies yep. of the organizations. We get yeah. to know each other as people and we begin to recognize each other's work styles, each other's personality styles. Just hold that thought and get back to me in 90 days and see if you see an evolution mm-hmm. and a progression and how well things work around here. Yeah, that's such a great and point. Also, and also note how the volume of emails will go down mm-hmm. and the volume of other meetings will more or less disappear. Yeah. I've had people that have were very introvert. I'm, I'm technically an introvert, but I had people that are very introverted and wouldn't proactively talk on calls or it would be, and, and now it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable at first when you're in these virtual environments and you're just trying to socialize. We'll like do like, you know, we'll just try to tee up questions and get people to talk. And it's just, it, it is a grind at first, especially if you get people that aren't super comfortable, you know, that aren't big talkers, but I've had people on my team, like we've, we've done it for months and months. And now, you know, there's just a closeness that exists. They're now more comfortable with these types of environments. So it, it takes time. Like it, it's going to be a little bit of a slog, you know, trying to kind of get these things to work. Cause for the most part, a lot of people are just starting to get acclimated to what, you know, working virtually is and how they need to think about it and how they need to adjust you know, how they do some of the things that they do. So you, you really just got to stick to pushing people to sometimes push them a little bit out of their comfort zone to kind of open up and realize that, look, if we're going to relationship build, if this business is going to be very successful, a big part of that is that we have strong relationships and that can't happen if we're not spending some time with each other and learning more about each other. And uh, it's certainly worked for us. Yeah, I, th- I, I could not agree more with that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think we're at the point now where virtual culture is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have much more virtual culture. We're going to have more hybrids. I believe this is actually one of the silver linings of when the bug hit. This is something that companies have needed to do for a long time. Yeah. And the prospect of either implement remote work tomorrow morning yeah. or your company, your company must cease operations. Well, that lit a fire. Now they, some companies tried, and I think there's still a few that are actually thinking in the delusion that this is actually works, yeah. to have things where they require their employees to keep their webcams turned on, and they schedule all kinds of superfluous meetings, and then use tools like Slack to message them and then hold their stopwatch. I messaged you seven minutes ago. What took you so long to answer? You're not on break. Yeah. No, that's counterproductive. And when I, when it, it, yeah, and then and that's when you began to see the great resignation, which I tend to call the great realignment, which I believe that's what it really is, mm-hmm. and uh, and the whole concept of, oh well, so this is what your expectations of me are. Well, you know, I'm speaking with your competitor, and they're going to pay me ten percent more and yep. not do this. That's what businesses are going to lose if they don't do this right. If they don't embrace it. Um, they're going to lose to other companies that that do embrace it and do do it well. And, and I've seen it. I know people personally that have left, you know, bigger companies um, for other opportunities because those bigger companies just can't get pet. They can't get out of their own way. They just they have this traditional mindset of pe- asses and seats. And it's 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 never it's not about productivity and it's not about efficiency and it's not about you know making more money because the fact most it's about control. It's about right. they're here. I see them. I want that ass in that seat. It's about control. It's not about any of those other things. And I, I you know, honestly, I think a hundred years from now, maybe not even that long, 50 years from now, we're going to look back and think it was crazy that we ever sat in cars for, you know, an hour or two hours to, to go to work. I think the people look at that, like, you know, we look at, 
you know, what people were doing a hundred or 200 years ago. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just a pendulum that's starting to swing the other way. Yeah, so sure. I think it's a great place to, to wrap up. And with, yeah. and my thought about everything you've shared with us and everything that I'm about to introduce our listeners to about you is that as entrepreneurs, as side hustlers, as those who are building entrepreneurial ventures, we have that opportunity to be nimble. We have that opportunity to be disruptive. We have that opportunity to be, uh, if we're looking to get into the agency type model, the anti-agency and find our own path to what we define as success, whether it's a million dollars, whether it's maximum time freedom, whatever it is. And so what I want our listeners to do is Jason has a very unique offer for you. If you go to his website at www.jasonyourmark, that's spelled J-A-S-O-N-Y-O-R-M-A-R-K.com forward slash contact and complete the uh, and complete the contact form and mention that you heard Jason on the Business Creators Radio Show, he will be able to provide you a complimentary 15-minute entrepreneurial consultation to show you some areas where you may have the opportunity to be positively disruptive and make a difference for your community market and audience in a way that your competition is not seeing right now. On that same website, jasonyourmark.com, you're also going to see how to acquire the book, the anti-agency book. You're also going to see how to tune into the anti-agency podcast, and you will discover so much more about it. So again, overall, the website is jasonyourmark.com. You'll see it in the notes when you visit this episode on www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And with that, Jason Yourmark, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. And uh, anybody that's listening, uh, I'm more than happy to help you out in any way that you, that you need. Uh, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.